Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Just before a year, around about 10 or 11 months, we noticed that he was beginning to regress with his communication skills and his behavior. His eye contact became less and virtually non-existent. It was like he'd sort of shut down or, or drifted off into his own world. I was really worried about the fact that I just literally had lost the ability to communicate with my child in any way. Meet Adrian and Devarasi Bellinger. They are the proud parents of a bubbly six-year-old boy who is on the autism spectrum. It was a pretty chilling and awful thing to hear. I think the biggest thing for both of us was having to change what we had expected. You have this mind map of where you see them in 10 years or 20 years. And the realization that there was a chance that none of that could happen would ever happen and that our child would need to be cared for in some way for the rest of his life. The diagnosis changed every aspect of their lives. They had to become acutely aware of their son's sensory triggers, learn how to handle his anxiety and emotional meltdowns, and create a routine that would best suit his individual needs. Everything, everything. Every single thing had to change. Our child's needs are obviously in many respects the same as any neurotypical child but at the same time he has a whole lot of extra needs which are completely different to those of a neurotypical child so we have to sort of manage both of those things. It is um, a juggling process. Yeah absolutely so we had to change our, our entire lifestyle and our entire social life and all our social habits to... What social life? <laughs> we used to have some. The little boy wakes up at exactly 5 a.m. every morning and the Bellingers have to be hands-on from brushing his teeth to getting dressed Breakfast itself can take up to an hour. Our son has some sensory integration issues, which means he doesn't eat many things. I can list on my one hand, I think, the number of things he eats. So on a good day, breakfast will consist of something like dry cornflakes or toast with chocolate spread on it. Yeah, it can take an hour to get to eat a, two pieces of toast. After school, it's lunch, then off to play. The Bellingers describe their son as energetic. He loves negotiating jungle gyms and pouncing on trampolines. The family even take the occasional walk together. But his favorite pastime is swimming. He loves swimming. In fact, I think he derives a great deal of sort of like sensory comfort from being in the swimming pool. So he will get into the swimming pool even in winter and even when it's raining. Outdoor activities, we try and focus on that because it is a form of therapy in a way. It helps him regulate feelings of insecurity or anxiety. The downside is that he needs constant supervision because he is generally risk averse. So he will leap off things without actually thinking about what happens when he lands. After playtime, he gets to enjoy a snack and relaxation before a bath, supper and bedtime. Keeping the routine is critical for children on the autism spectrum. One or both of us has to be with him. Can't do any of those things by himself. Because we're his primary caregivers, he won't accept that kind of input from anybody else and it's very difficult for somebody else to understand the subtleties and the nuances that are needed to make this sort of really important part of the routine work successfully. November marks Disability Rights Awareness Month and of the primary challenges the Bellingers highlight is the lack of resources relating to intellectual disabilities. I'm not saying that we don't have resources, but certainly there are fewer resources under the, on the ground for the intellectual disabilities. I have to agree with Dev. We were very lucky because we found a range of organisations, NPOs and things that... Not a range, two. Two, <laughs> well... 
first that was arranged after the initial struggles. None of these things are, are state provided or, or mainstream and we became incredibly reliant on those resources to point us in the direction of practitioners who would give us proper advice and to help us along the way. But we've had to access all of these things um, ourselves. And very little state support. It's all absolutely, private. It's absolutely. All private virtually no state support at all. This becomes evident when it's time to consider school. The Bedingers count themselves among the lucky. However, they say access to education for their son comes with great emotional and financial strain. We were offered a trial at a particular school and our son went along to the school and we were told that he was incapable of academic work. And, well, the um, words they used were that he was incapable of learning, which incap- I think huge offence to. It was like another body blow and so we had to look further afield, which is why we travelled 40 minutes a day to get him to school in 40 minutes a day to fetch him. And of course, the irony is, is that the school that he's at at the moment, they've established without a shadow of a doubt that he is academically capable. The Bellingers highlight the need for trained personnel in the education sector to assist children with special needs. They also lament the silo mentality when it comes to education. Adrian says neurotypical children and those on the spectrum are kept away from each other, which results in a lack of integration. Yet, the Bellingers believe there is hope. And it starts with awareness. The more people are aware of the issues relating to persons with disabilities, the issues relating to resource provision, infrastructure, even social stigma, the more people that become aware, the more people that become understanding, the better the prospects are. So there's hope. So there's hope, particularly in light of continued interest. Yeah, and if we get that right, then the next step would be, as you asked in the question, then start talking about realizing dreams. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.